First Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse 19. Notice what the Bible says uh, in verse 19. It says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For, either, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that, we, that ye should follow what? His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When we stop and think about the Christian life, we think about what we have in Christ. And what we have in Christ is no doubt precious. I mean, even Peter says in verse 7, in the same chapter, unto you therefore which believeth, he is precious. What we have in Christ, according to the Romans, what we have in Christ, we have redemption in Christ. Romans 8, we have uh, no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And also in Christ, we are partakers of this promise of redemption. But it's not only what we have in Christ that is precious, it's who we are in Christ. According to 1 Corinthians, in Christ we are sanctified. 2 Corinthians, we are new creatures. In Ephesians 2, in Christ we, have, we are his workmanship, created unto good works. And so who we, are, who we are in Christ is also precious. So what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ are precious things. Now there is a divine purpose in why we have been redeemed and why we have salvation. It's more than just having our sins forgiven and a home in heaven, although that's tremendous and that's wonderful. But while we're left here on earth, there is a divine purpose for this redemption. It's what we have and who we are in Christ that makes the difference. So salvation involves several things. I want to help you in what Paul calls it. He calls it the hope of your calling. This is the salvation that we have. One body, one spirit. Uh, even, if you have, uh, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. And so we have this hope, this salvation that we've been called to. Leads us to several things. Number one, it leads us to this. Because of salvation, we are literally called the sons of God. The Apostle uh, John said, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we shall be called, literally, called the sons of God. Um, because of salvation, we are called to service. Not only sons of God, and it's a wonderful privilege, but we are called to serve. Galatians says this, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. This is our salvation. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Amen. Number three, because of salvation, we are called to sanctification. Now, this is the goal of our salvation. This is the result of our salvation. It's what God has called us to. Paul calls it a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, this is what I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God. The Peter calls it in chapter 1. He says, it's a holy calling. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, who has saved us, that's Jesus Christ, and called us with a holy calling. Amen. 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose in grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, look, look at this, before the world began. So God planned and prepared and promised salvation, which leads us to sanctification, to look like his son. The purpose of God in redemption is to conform us into the image of his dear sons. Romans chapter 8, you know this very familiar verse. We looked at it a little briefly this morning. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that accord according to his purpose. What's his purpose in redemption? That we shall be caught, uh, conformed into the image of Christ. Uh, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What's that mean? Predetermined. Uh, what's that mean? He planned and purposed before the world began. What did he plan and purpose? What did he uh, preordain, if you will? What, what was God's plan? To be conformed into the image of his son. This is the goal. This is the purpose. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So the question has to be asked, how are we conformed into the image of Christ? What does God use to help us be conformed into his image? And if we have been called to be like Christ, then we have to live like Christ. Isn't that right? We have to follow in his steps. It's only biblically right that we follow in his, in his steps. John says this, He that saith, I abide in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Following in his steps. <clears throat> so how did he walk? I mean, we can look into many areas of the life of Christ and learn from him. But tonight I want to look in this area, the suffering of Christ and how he endured suffering. Now, it's not going to be a popular message because who wants to go through suffering? Who wants to go through suffering? But because of salvation, what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ, we are called to suffer like Christ. And that's what Paul the Apostle says in Philippians. That it's not only that we have believed on Christ, but we should suffer for Christ. And this is because of the gospel. Any Christian that lives and breathes the gospel, lives and breathes the gospel, will and shall suffer persecution. It's inevitable. And the reason why so many Christians today don't suffer any kind of persecution, whether it's verbal abuse or physical abuse, is because they are not going about living the gospel or gossiping the gospel or living like Christ. Because if you live like Christ, you'll understand one thing. Christ went out preaching and teaching. He went out to be a witness. His life was different, yes. But he went out to share the gospel and it's the gospel that simply brings about this in persecution. Have a look at Philippians chapter 1. Leave your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 2. But look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 12. The church at Philippi were concerned for Paul because he was put in a Roman prison. You know why he was put in a Roman prison? Because of the gospel's sake. No other, no other reason. But it was for the cause of Christ. And if you trace the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, you'll notice that they, 
didn't really like how he was preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel. That's one thing that they didn't like. They tried to pin him down on other things, but that was the very thing that they did not like. And over here they were concerned, uh, you know, and naturally you'd be concerned for your brethren that are simply suffering for the cause of Christ. But notice what he says. Notice this attitude of the Apostle Paul in verse 12. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the what? Furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's taking place in my life is because of the gospel. And it's encouraging other Christians to be bold and confident to preach the gospel. Amen. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's not supposed to cause us to say, oh, look at the Apostle Paul's gone into prison. We should just be very careful now not to go out and preach and teach because we might be buffeted or we might be put in prison. No, on the contrary. They look at the Apostle Paul's life and say, look, he's suffering for the furtherance of the gospel and he's pushing out the gospel into the palace and all other places. And wow, the word of God is getting out there even. And persecution does that. I mean, the proper persecution does that. Absolutely. Look at verse 27. He encourages them to strive together for the sake of the what? The gospel. Only let your conversation, lifestyle, your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Amen. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the very key. That's the heartbeat of every single church. You lose that, you've lost it. This is the whole point of being a Christian is to live out the gospel and preach the gospel and along the way ask the Lord to give us boldness that we may be confident to continue. Confidence is not simply being arrogant, it's simply having courage to speak the word of God. And only God can give you that confidence. And he goes on to say, if you continue to read in verse uh, 28, look what he says in verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake, having the same conflict, which you see or saw in me, and now he to be in me. What I suffer for the sake of the gospel, you will suffer for the sake of the gospel. God has not only called you to believe on him, but to suffer for him. It's part of the creed. This is what we've been called to. This is what we're, our passage talks about. The Apostle Paul uh, uh, makes it clear. Peter makes it clear. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, even to the Thessalonians, that these uh, Christians are appointed under suffering. What, what do you mean? You, you and I are appointed under suffering? I mean, who wants to suffer? But that's what happens when you live out the Christian life and you go out and you share the gospel. Have a look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Leave your finger there at 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll come back to it. But just allow me to use these scriptures for the sake of uh, introduction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. By the way, Jesus taught this. I mean, it was a common practice. The first sermon that Jesus preached, he actually said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. So even Jesus taught this anticipating that his disciples will live out the Christian life to follow in his steps and hence will suffer persecution for it. But notice what Paul the Apostle says to the Thessalonians, 
First Thessalonians 3 and look at verse 1. Wherefore, when we could not no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent uh, Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the what? In the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man shall be moved by these what? Afflictions for yourselves know that we are what? Appointed thereunto. This is a common teaching. Jesus taught it. He taught it over and over again to the people. Uh, the Apostle Paul taught it. Peter is teaching it. We're appointed to this. As Christians, we will suffer persecution. It's inevitable. We can't run away from it. If you're living the Christian life, this is what's going to take place. If you're bearing the name of Christ, this, what, this is the very thing that's, what, that's going to take place. And so we see very clearly, he says, hey, this is common knowledge. Christians are followers of Christ and suffer. And Jesus said, because you bear my name, this is why you suffer. Because you preach my name, this is why you suffer. Because you live in righteousness, this is why you suffer. Happy are ye, blessed are you. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So persecuted the prophets before you. This is what happened in the Old Testament. All the prophets were persecuted because of the cause of Christ. We see Moses. Moses. Willing to forsake the treasures of Egypt. To suffer affliction with the people of God. Than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And so we see in verse 5, notice what he says. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, look at this. I sent to know your faith, lest by any means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. So all the work that we have invested in you when we went to Thessalonica and we did that work and you know you're going to suffer for the cause of Christ and when you began to suffer, you thought of strange things that's taking place. What's going on? And the tempter's tempting you. Shh. Turn it down, be quiet. And he's saying, we don't want to labor in vain. And by the way, that's what we do as ministers and preachers. We labor in the lives of people that they will continue, even under the heat of persecution, to love the Lord. That, when you see someone do a backflip and yield to perhaps uh, keep the peace. By the way, it's false peace. You think, oh no. No, stand. No, keep on keeping on. This is, we're appointed to this. We can't sidestep it. It's inevitable. It's prophecy. This is what God has called us to. We can't run away from it. Now, we can be wise. There's no doubt we're not talking about being foolish, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But when your time's up and your time's for persecution there and you know it's a, you can't do much about it, your family's kicking you out, this person, you're losing your job because of this or that or whatever, it's inevitable. It's going to take place. It will happen. But I pray that the labor that's taking place in your heart, that you will not buckle in the face of persecution and suffering. This is what Paul had for the Thessalonica church. The early disciples in the book of Acts rejoiced because they were buffeted or they suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. Now to walk in his steps not only involves suffering in itself, 
And we know suffering will take place. This is not what I want to speak about to you tonight. I mean, if we trace the scriptures on and on again, I can labour on this point that we'll suffer persecution, we'll suffer, and it's inevitable and so forth. But what I want to talk to you tonight is not only the suffering that is inevitable, but I want to talk about enduring suffering or taking it patiently, responding to suffering. Because suffering will take place. I'm not trying to prove that to you today. We know very clearly by what we've heard and seen that it will take place. But how are we to respond when it does take place? This is what I want to share with you tonight. And I think it's very important. I think it's very important. Especially if you do suffer persecution, and you will suffer persecution. That you need to know how to walk in the steps of Christ. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It's one thing to suffer, but listen to this. It's another thing to accept the suffering that you're under. It's another thing to endure the suffering and to take it patiently. The Apostle Peter says, For even unto ye are called, ah, sorry, verse 20, For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your, what? your faults? There's no glory in it. You mess up, you get persecuted, you cop it on the chin. No glory. You, you know, you suffer the consequences of your own actions. There's no glory in that, right? You, you cop it on the chin. But he says, ye shall take it patiently. Ye accept it. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Amen. Injustice taking place in your life. Persecuted. Uh, falsely accused. Take it patiently. Take it. And God is pleased. This is acceptable. Though people might look at you and say, what a weakling. Look at you. Fight back. Look at you. Are you going to let this continue on? You just take it patiently. And God, is, God looks down and is well pleased. Now, look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Even hereunto, were you what? What's that word? That's important. We're called unto salvation. We're called unto service. We're called unto sanctification. Listen, we're called the sons of God. Listen, we're called to suffering. Who wants to be caught to that? But this is what we're caught to. In other words, we're called to suffer for the name of Christ, for the life that we live and the person we choose to follow. And the moment we follow after him wholeheartedly is the moment we'll start being persecuted and suffering for his namesake. And he says, you're caught to this. He says, Christ, in verse 21, because of Christ also suffered for us, leaving us a what? An example. One person said about this, the word example means riding under. It is like riding, uh, you know, under a piece of paper on which to trace the letters or the patterns. So in other words, you know how you trace, you know, brother, wouldn't you do that, right? You trace, right? You, you copy the little lines and you, oh, this is it. You know, Christ is the pattern and we trace 
over it, whatever it is, and we trace our life and we see uh, how he suffered and how he reacted and how he endured the suffering. And we say, okay, this is the picture. This is the example that we need to trace our life uh, after and walk after. This is how it looks like. And we're going to see how does it look like. Christ is the pattern. He's the perfect picture. He's the perfect picture of, of, of a person that endured suffering. Perfect picture. And so, his death was priceless, but the way he endured suffering, and the way he endured patiently, and the way he submitted to the injustice, is the perfect pattern that we should follow. And so let's take a look. What is it? There are five things here in verse 22 to 23. In 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 22. If we back it up, leaving us an example that we should follow the, his steps, amen? Who did no sin, number one? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying, I'm going, to say, I'm going to say this right from the beginning, we are not in any way, shape or form, even as blood-bought Christians, sinless. I'm saying this to you right from the beginning so you don't misunderstand, amen? However, Christ is the only sinless one. And if we're going to walk after him, then we, we would say, I do not want to sin as Christ didn't sin. We can say that. The Apostle John encourages us to sin not. Very clearly. He makes it very clear that we should not sin. And if we do, we have an advocate. Now, that doesn't give us a license to go and sin. But if we do, and sometimes we will. But John is saying, I write unto you that you sin not. Amen. What's that mean? That we don't live in sin like we used to. Uh, we are not saved to serve sin. Or we are not saved to sin some more. We are saved to sin no more. Isn't that what the hymn writer says? Saved to sin no more. Praise God. Well, this is how we should live as Christians. Uh, above reproach. When I spoke to one of the ladies in Hamilton last week and I was going through the law and I said, have you ever lied before? She said, haven't you? I said, yeah, I have before. You know, I, I was a big liar. She said, no, 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 now. See, you, you're lying now. Don't you lie now? I said, me, living in life? No, I don't want to lie. Do I lie? Do I fall in some deceit? No, I don't want to. I don't live intentionally in lies. I do not want to lie. I do not want to fornicate. I do not want to be a drunkard. I do not want to be all these wicked things that I used to do. Of course not. I once were the, this, this person, but I'm washed. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. And I want to walk like a Christian. I want, that's what a Christian is, right? A Christ follower. It's almost sacrilegious today if you don't live a holy life. And we understand the Pharisees and what they did and how they uh, depicted a so-called holy life. And, but Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, there's nothing wrong with living holy lives. Nothing wrong. And the only people that want to call it, a, you know, whatever they want to call it is because you have sin in your life. No. We ought not to have sin in our lives. If we do sin, we confess it. And it's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But we sure no longer want to walk in sin Amen. and live in sin. No way in the world. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, And we know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Praise God for that. Verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. 
For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. What's that seed? The seed of the Spirit of God, the inner man that lives within us, doesn't want to sin and leads us to live a victorious Christian life and that we crucify the flesh and we walk after the Spirit of God so we sin not. Yeah. And so this is the way we walk after Christ, that we sin not. We're above board and above reproach. Amen. We do everything above board and above reproach. We, we want to be blameless. Before we were Christians, we, called, we were called sinners. I called sinners to repentance, not the righteous. But now that we're in Christ, we are made right with God. We're justified. We're righteous. Before we knew the Lord, we were called ungodly. But now we are godly. So we walk as godly people. Before we knew the Lord, we were what? Unrighteous. Unrighteous. Unjust. A wicked person. But now that we know the, the Lord God, we are men of God. Women of God. I love that you know, phrase that Paul calls Timothy, O oh, man of God. And by the way, that, that phrase is not like, I am the man of God, you listen to me. No. He's a man of God. There's other words, he's got a God life character, the spirit of God dwells in him. He's for God, he's on God's side, he walks after God. He's a man of God, not a man of the world. He's a man of God. And by the way, I'm not ashamed to be a man of God. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to preach on sin and hate it right where Jesus hates it. Because he died for it. We should never, ever justify sin in our lives or anyone's life. Never, ever. Not in any way. We should have a desire to live like Christ, especially, listen, in the way we treat people. Because on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with the way we treat our enemies. And he says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven, perfect. Wow. Your Father's perfect in this area in the way we treat our enemies? Yeah, pray for them. They speak evil of you? Pray for them. Wow. Is that how God is? Well, this is how God wants us to be. Don't render evil for evil. No. Oh, you see someone on the street? Uh, they've mistreated you for the cause of Christ? Don't walk across the street. Go up to them, say hello. If there's something between you, say, I'm disappointed with our last conversation. I didn't like the way it ended up. You think we could talk about it? No, I'm talking to you. Be above board, above reproach. This is how God wants us to live. Forgiving people, loving people. It's amazing how people that want to accuse you of being unloving are the ones that are unloving. It's amazing. Oh, you don't love people. Look at them. And if, uh, let's talk about it. No, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Uh, very ironic. But we should continue to pray for people that mistreat us and backbite and falsely accuse us. And Jesus, or the, the wisdom of God says in the book of Proverbs, when you see your enemy fall, don't rejoice over it. Because you want to see your enemy recover. This is the Heavenly Father's desire. 
And so to be like the Heavenly Father, to be like Him, perfect, is to have a right reaction to our enemies. And what's the right reaction? Pray for them, bless them, feed them, in a very genuine way, by the way. In a very genuine way. But never on the expense of truth. And so this is the wisdom of God in this area to know how to reach people that don't like us, how to reach people that reject the gospel, how to reach people that spit in our face, how to reach people that are just absolutely indefiant to the way we live and the way we preach the gospel. How do we reach these people? And at best, if you cannot communicate with them, the Bible says pray for them. And I guarantee you, it will liberate you to no end. When you start praying for the people that mistreat you and talk behind your back because of the way you live and because of the preaching, then I guarantee you, you'll be liberated to no end. But the next one here, he talks about no guile. 1 Peter 2 verse 22, he did no sin, neither was what guile found in his what? Mouth. By the way, Peter begins the chapter in chapter number 2 verse 1 and encourages Christians to lay aside guile. That proves to us that we can have guile in our hearts and mouths. And he doesn't want the Christians to have that characteristic, that evil characteristic in our lives. He says, lay aside malice, hypocrisies, guile, evil speaking. But specifically, he makes mention that Christ had no guile. What's guile? No deceit. He had no deceit in his heart. Uh, he had no, you know, uh, uh, he wasn't like a two-faced. He wasn't double-tongued. Uh, he, 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 wasn't ha- he had, didn't have, he wasn't there to bait people or trick people. If anything, that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were always baiting people. The Pharisees always wanted to see Jesus fall and fail. They tried to trick him many a times. But Jesus didn't have that in there. What you see in Jesus is what you get. I mean, his testimony was very out there. People knew that he wasn't a man of partiality. People knew what you saw is what you get. Uh, He was pure. In the eyes of people, there was nothing hidden. Listen, he had no hidden agenda. The way he reached people and the way he confronted people and the way he was firm with people was there. You could see it. There was no hiding, no hidden, you know, deceit and guile in his mouth. No, not for a second. This only indicates to us that we should follow after this and not be crafty or sneaky in the way we deal with people. Because we can. And it's sad. It's very sad to see people trying to trap you, trying to trick you, trying to catch you, trying to see you fall and fail. I think it's one of the saddest things that you can ever have in Christendom. That people try to set you up for a fall. But if ever someone tries to do that, don't learn their ways. Don't react. Don't, you know, tit for tat. Listen, tit for tat never got anyone anywhere. You know, you're just being like them and what you hate in them is the very thing that you do. But Jesus never did that. They tried to trap him. They tried to trick him. He spoke with wisdom. He exposed them and they didn't like it. I thank God for a a, a saviour that had wisdom that we can walk after. The Lord's testimony was on display for all to see. And we thank God for that. Now, if anything, this, you know, ill intent that Jesus didn't have, 
The enemies have, and Satan had. Satan has this. That's why Jesus said to, uh, to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had the desire to have you, that he may what? Sift you, like what? Wait. Jesus doesn't have this. The devil has this. The devil wants to see you fail and fall, but Jesus doesn't. We don't want to see our enemies fail and fall. We don't want to see those that are opposing our ministry or the word of God fail and fall. We are actually want to see them recover. That's why we're in the ministry. We, we, we want to see people restored. We want to see people saved. On the contrary. But you can easily fall in the trap by learning the ways of the wicked and trying to be deceitful like your enemy. And I, I, I'm going to encourage you here today, lay it aside. Yeah, but it's suffering. He hurt me. They hurt me. It doesn't matter. And we're going to see later on the fifth characteristic that we saw in Christ. This is the second one. We need to lay it aside. We ought not to exhibit this in our life in any way, shape or form. You know, Jesus didn't try to provoke people to see the worst in them. You want me to say that again? Jesus didn't try to provoke people to see the worst in them. You know, people can provoke you so you can just, they're trapping you. He didn't do that. He wasn't sly. No. He encouraged them. He encouraged Peter. Although Peter put his foot in his mouth many a times, he did not provoke him. He tried to help him. And I'm afraid we see guile, trickery, deceit in the heart of people. And I'm saying to you, don't catch it. Amen. Have nothing to do with it. Lay it aside. Be truth. Be firm. And some people won't like it, but that's what you need to be. It doesn't matter if they don't like the, the truth in you and it's coming out. At least it's coming out and they know who you are. Yeah. It's a shame to see people having a double tongue, double heart, isn't it? Yeah. May God help us Amen. that we're not like that. That we're forthright. What we can say in this room to one another, we can say to another person that we're talking about. Because we love them and we have concerns about them. Absolutely. And the Bible's an open book. I mean, I read the accounts of men and women. I mean, you know, can you imagine that we were in that era and God wrote about us? What would he write about us? And for you to have your daily devotion and read about what he wrote about other people. I mean, wow, do we see? Yeah, because we're open books. Our life should be on display. Hey, we've got nothing to hide. The righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. They've got nothing to hide. There's no guile. There's no cheating, trickery. Hey, their life is on display. No guile in suffering. Don't have deceit in your heart. The Paul the Apostle writes to the Thessalonians... And he said to them, he said, our exhortation was not in deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. He says this, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing to men, but God, look at this, which trieth the hearts. Because they had a fear of God that kept them sober. May God give us that. Amen. 
The Bible says in Psalm 32 verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Our Lord Jesus Christ can testify about Nathaniel's life when he first met him. Ironically, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Now, he's not saying that Nathaniel was sinless. But this, there was a quality that in his life that he commended. In other words, Nathaniel wasn't susceptible to this wicked character trait. And Jesus recognized it. Brethren, if you have this character trait, it will cripple your Christian life to no end. Get rid of it. It will stunt your growth. It will stunt your ministry. I tell you something, it will even stunt your walk with God. Get rid of it. Don't have it. Be pure in heart. And Jesus says, behold, the Israelite indeed, there is no guile. Jesus takes it very serious. Now, I believe that this indicates to us when he said this, that there's a point of genuineness in Nathaniel. Sincere. That's right. He is sincere. And may God help up every single one of us to be sincere in our ministry, even when we suffer. Amen? Number three, 1 Peter 2.23, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Now that word revile means to cast insults or to heap abuse, to scorn. And so when Jesus was on that cross, the people that passed by, the Bible says, reviled him. They insulted him and mocked him and scorned him and, and hurled insults at him well did jesus retaliate no and so we ought not to retaliate we ought not to uh simply uh revile back or cast insults back at other people the pharisees reviled the uh, reviled the blind man and his response was very sharp and sweet we don't have time to go there but you see, in John chapter 9, we looked, we looked at that account this morning, but his response to the Pharisees was short, sweet, and sharp. They mocked him, they insulted him, and he just responds in very tr sweet words, which are true, which caused them to kick him out of their presence. They didn't want to hear it. So what, what do we learn from this? Truth always prevails. Uh, nowhere in Scripture... Does it say that we cannot stand for truth? As a matter of fact, when Jesus stood before Pilate and he was on trial, he still answered Pilate with truth. Though he was buffeted and, and, and all, you know, suffering and going to the cross, he never, ever you know, came to the point where he would not speak truth. But you would never hear any abuse, and this is what revolves in abusing people. This is what we were charged with. Remember when we went out to uh, pass out tracts at that uh, gay parade? They actually accused us of going and calling people faggots and all this and that will, you know, insult. We, this is not what Christianity is about. We don't do this. We don't go picket and protest. No, we go preach. Amen. So picketing and protesting, abusing people or whatever is not right. That's not Christianity. We, ought, we don't do that. And if people do that in the name of Christ, they give Christianity a bad name. What can we do? And this is what we see today. Peter makes it very clear 
that Jesus Christ never abused people back. They mocked him. Was he firm with them? Yeah. Well, you Pharisees. You hypocrites. He was as truthful. Nothing wrong with being firm and truthful. Let's just not get, you know, really mixed up here today. Amen? But he did not in any way insult people, undermine people, verbally abuse people. That wasn't in Christ, and that ought not to be in us. Amen? The Apostle Paul says this, We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honourable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labour working with our own hands being reviled, we blessed. Persecuted, we suffered it. What a disposition to have for the cause of Christ. Number four, in 1 Peter 2 verse uh, 23. No threats. When he suffered, he threatened not. When Jesus hung on that cross, what was the cry that we hear, the most famous cry? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. When Stephen was stoned, he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this on their, lay not this sin to their charge. You say, was Stephen more holy than the Apostle Paul when he says, Lord, please keep this person accountable in some epistles? No. There are certain times where you need to keep people accountable. But when you're suffering and you're persecuted and when you're simply persecuted by the ungodly, you take it and you suffer for it. And you pray. You say, God, lay this not on their charge. Wow, how do you do this? Well, the same spirit that Jesus had was in Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost being persecuted and stoned to death for preaching the truth. By the way, he preached the truth, didn't he not? Yeah, he confronted them. I mean, he confronted them. You read that passage and you see he was really confronting them. Hence the stoning. They gnashed on their teeth. But he suffered for it. He suffered for the truth. He wanted the people, his people, his countrymen, to know the truth. And that's what matters. Even though people misunderstand the truth and undermine what's taking place, we must continue to preach the truth at any cost, even if it just takes our life one day. And maybe for some here today it might. But we can perhaps kneel and pray and say, Dear God, lay this not on their charge. Because we're simply caught to it. We're not caught to preserve our life. We're called to pattern our life after Christ. Yeah, there are times that you have to be, you know, put in a basket over a wall and see you later. There are times where Jesus, we know, slipped out of their hands. But when your time comes, my friend, the time has come. And when the time comes, you know it. You know, it's almost like, okay, here you go. It's the time. But I love what Paul the Apostle said time and time again. I'm the prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> I'm the prisoner of the Lord. He was already a prisoner. That's why he can do this. You know, he was already done with it. He knew what was coming. Jesus prophesied to him 
that the Apostle Paul was going to suffer many things for his name's sake. And he came under it. And he endured it. Patiently. Patiently. Mm, testimony of the Apostle Paul. You, you, yeah, I see a, a testimony before me that is absolutely remarkable. The Spirit of God leading him. Yeah. May God help every single one of us to have the same spirit. Amen? Amen. You know what Paul did after he was stoned? And the brethren went around about him. They probably thought he was dead. He got up. He didn't say, let's go get him, boys. No. He said, let's go to another city and preach. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a spirit-filled man. Right there. Right there. May God help me, help you one day to have that spirit-filled attitude to dust yourself off and say, let's keep going. Let's keep going. How do you have that? How do you have that? I believe it's part of our Christian maturity. Being made into the image of Christ because as Paul was serving God, God was making him. And God knows how much we can handle, Paul can handle, I can handle. God knows. But in the process of suffering, listen, God is making you into his image. You don't want to bypass it. You don't want to shortcut it. You want to submit yourself under it and take it patiently. And he threatened not. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto what? Called. That ye should, re should inherit a blessing. Verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But look at this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Have a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you for your good conversation in Christ. Now this is important. You say, why? Because the persecution and the suffering that we must endure must be for righteousness sake. It must be. Not for our cause, our sake, our agenda. It must be for the cause of Christ. It must be. The worst thing that could ever happen is that when we're being persecuted for our own faults and we're actually labeling it, labeling it and saying, oh, we're persecuted for God, we're persecuted for God. We need to be sure that we are persecuted for the right cause. Brethren, we must be sure. 1 Peter chapter 4, have a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 4 in your Bibles. Have a look. 
Look at verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange. What? Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, this is in the context of being persecuted for Christ's sake and righteousness' sake. This is not talking about uh, infirmity that we're going through. This is talking about uh, things that we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. When that takes place, when people pounce on you, when people just, uh, you know, um, how can I say, uh, falsely accuse you, and they... Get a hold of you. And you think, what's going on here? What did I do? It's a strange thing that's going to take place. You know the, the, what, what encompasses your mind? What are people going to think? Are they going to think that I did something wrong? Yeah, can you imagine seeing your pastor in handcuffs? All of a sudden, the natural reaction is this. He's done something. See? He's done something. Yeah. Yeah, you... You see police coming up to you or security guards up to you. Oh, no. What did we do wrong? Yeah, make sure it's for the gospel's sake Amen. and for righteousness' sake. Because there lies your confidence. There later on you analyze and you begin to think and realize, yeah, I am a stranger. I am a pilgrim. Oh, yeah, I'm passing through. I am in this prison. I, did, I got this fine because I'm living for God. Is that a crime? No, not at all. And that's what's going to keep you. No matter what men may say. That's why Paul said to Timothy, don't be ashamed of my bonds. Because there would have been brethren ashamed of him. Look at him. Troublemaker. <laughs> Look, that's all he, he goes from one place to another place causing up havoc and trouble. Look at him. He deserves what he gets. Timothy, don't be ashamed of my bonds. Don't be ashamed. But notice as we read verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. What a day that will be, my friends. Verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, if, and because ye are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory in God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. By them he is blasphemed, but by you he is honoured. Praise God for that. First Peter 4, look at verse 15. But let none of you, look at this, suffer as a what? Four things here. Murderer, five, yeah, four things. Murderer, thief, evildoer, or busybody in other man's business. Quickly go through these. A murderer. Someone that's perhaps having a carnal fleshly hatred in their heart for someone perhaps will not forgive. You know that malice will seep out. Will seep out. You don't want to be suffering as a murderer for your reactions or your wrong reactions to suffering. Let it go. Take it. Cop it on the chin. God is pleased. In some cases, this is what you have to do. Don't contend it. In some places, the Apostle Paul contended some things. He, he went to court. They said, you know, if Paul didn't contend this, he would have been released. But some people say, if Paul didn't contend it, uh, he was out of the will of God. Regardless. Regardless. What's he trying to say here? No malice, no hatred in your heart, no ill intent. Don't suffer as a murderer. Don't let what's taken place fall back on your head. Another thing, don't, not as a thief. In other words, listen, be above board. Pay your taxes, pay your bills, 
Don't be a cheater. Don't let when the authorities come and do an audit on you, they find some things they can catch you on another thing. Don't let that happen. Yeah, because that's what they want to do. They want to catch it at something else. They're so smart and subtle. Number three, an evildoer. Just don't be an evildoer. I mean, can I list the whole things about evildoers? I mean, you know, work it out. Number four, busybodies in other man's matters. Look, it's easy to be caught up in someone else's affair, something that doesn't matter. You get caught up with the wrong things. God doesn't want us to be caught up with the wrong things. Take someone else's reproach and trouble. Let it be for the cause of Christ, something that's worthy. You know, some things we just need to let go. We just need to come to the point of our lives and say, I must let things go and do not, you know, let this affect my heart. I must die to self. Don't worry. There goes the money. Who cares? We must mind our business and be busy doing the Father's business. Just don't interfere with something that's, you want to help someone out, give them wisdom. Don't, don't put your hands in something that's sticky. No, in the end, up suffering for the wrong cause. I was actually speaking to one of the friends that came yesterday. And I say this, I want to say this to help you because I've thought about this many a times. You know, I, I gave him one of these mobile phone car holders. Don't suffer as an evildoer. And uh, he just told me that, you know, he, he, he got fined for, you know, having the phone in his lap. And uh, we spoke about that. We said, you know, you know think, I want you to think about this for a moment. I, I spoke to a couple of them. I said, I think they got a point. Because if we got it here and we looked down in that split second, can you imagine we run over a, a young lady or a child? You know what that can do to our ministry? We're actually in prison for... Murder. And you, Christian, you can't lie and say you didn't look at the phone because now you're in trouble with God. You have to tell the truth. There goes your ministry. There goes your life. Yeah, you've been arrested for something that, yeah, was an accident, but they've pinned you on it. You're in prison for something that is just, oh. Oh, yeah, but I, can, I could, uh, you know, preach in prison. Yeah. Take another avenue, justify it. But in reality, listen, there are things that, you know, we fall into trouble in that we shouldn't have. We can avoid it. How many times that God has protected us from silly things because it just ruin, can actually ruin our ministry, ruin our testimony. We need to be very careful that we're not suffering for the wrong things. Because Satan will have a field day to see us down and out and suffering for the wrong thing. He, he just, he'll love it. You had rendered useless. Yeah, you can still preach, but it's not the same. I don't know, at least for me, there's always going to be that guilt at the back of your head, like, oh no, I'm in prison here for killing an old lady because I was so foolish for looking at my phone. This, this, suffering for this. It's not worth it, right? True. It's not worth it. When you think about it that way, it's not worth it. Not for a second. Don't take the risk. Don't take the risk. Don't take the risk in running the red light. Don't take the risk. Just wait patiently two minutes. You'll be, be above board. Be above board in your testimony. Don't let them catch you for things that they ruin your testimony. Please. Because if we're persecuted, we must be persecuted for the right cause. 
Amen? If we're going to prison, we must go to prison for the right cause. And that's for the cause of Christ. Amen? And lastly, we're done. If any man, he says in verse 16, suffer as a Christian. And we see that word Christian in the book of Acts when they first became Christian, and it's so sweet, put in the... Suffer as a Christ follower. Walking in his steps. Nothing else. Amen? Amen. Let, not, let him not be ashamed. Amen. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Oh, brother. This is, this is where you want to be. And uh, go back to chapter 2, look at verse 23. Number 5. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But look at this. What did he do? But he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what's the best thing that we can do? Commit ourselves in the hand of God and even commit our enemies and our persecutors in the hand of God. You know what, brethren? He's going to balance the books one day. He's going to judge all things in righteousness. Everything's going to be uncovered. Just give it to him. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. When you get involved, you're pushing God out of it. When you're not responding right, the proverb says God is going to withhold his wrath and then he'll start dealing with you. Listen, learn to give things to God and leave it there. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Like I'm serious here. Don't take it in your own hands. And Christian, you know when you'll start taking things in your own hands. Just give it to God. Commit it to him. And we will have that peace from God. Amen? When we trace the life of Christ and we consider him, he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be weary in your minds. When you are buffeted time and time again, might not happen now, but when you are buffeted, persecuted, maybe you are, time and time and time and time and time again, there's no rest. Look at Jesus, who suffered such contradiction. I mean, talk about being opposed. You know, man, we should go and live like Jesus. You know, Jesus loved the world and he's a peaceful man. He was the most hated man. <laughs> Read your Bible. Why? Because he went about preaching and teaching the truth. He was a light of the world and many people did not like it and he was persecuted for it, hence his crucifixion. Why was he crucified? What evil has he done? How many times did Pilate say that? What evil has he done? What evil has he done? Nothing. And yet they crucified the Lord of glory. How much more we? How much more we? Who are trying to live in the footsteps of Jesus. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 10, and we're done. Look, at, look what it says here. 1 Peter 5, look at verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us, called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settled you. Oh, it's, don't even compare the sufferings of this present time to what God has revealed in them that love him, they're in glory. Don't even compare it. 
What Paul the said, you know what Paul the said? It's a light affliction. A light affliction. When you really see it through the lenses of this book and the life of Christ, what glory will that be on his day, on that day when he comes back again? But the God of all grace, we can't do it without his grace. And this is how Paul did it, didn't it? God gave him his grace that he may continue to run the race. And he gave it through another kind of suffering, another kind of infirmity. Tailor-made! What, what the devil meant for evil, God meant it for good. And this is how God will refine a man to finish what God appointed him to do. He was being buffeted from every single area. But we see a man that had his eyes upon Jesus Christ listen and understood what his salvation meant what does it mean what does our salvation the hope of our calling mean we are sons of God what, what does that mean sons of God Jesus Christ the firstborn amongst the brethren that we would walk in his footsteps so we'd be like the second Adam in every area not only in our benevolence and our uh, you know wisdom and this and that but listen yes in our suffering and the way we endure suffering. And if you're living like Christ, listen, you will go through suffering. In one form or another. In one form or another. And may God help every single one of us that when we do, we walk in his steps. Trace his life and say, Lord, I don't want to have any sin. I want to be above reproach. Short accounts with God. No guile. No, no abuse. No threatening. And I just want to commit everything to you that takes place in my life, Lord. God, please help me. Walk in his steps when the hour comes for your glory, for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.